Masters for Hire podcast. My name is Clay and I'll be your usual host. Each week we discuss different tabletop or live action roleplay systems, challenges faced as a game master or player, mechanics and even just our favourite roleplaying systems. I'm joined this week and for one more week by Liam, one of my players and a GM in their own right. How are you today Liam? Yeah, I'm quite well Clay. How's things on your end? Oh, you know, not too bad. Had a few games this week that uh, were interesting. Hmm. That's quite good. So this week we're looking to continue on from last. Last week we kind of took a brief dip into bottom-up world building. Mm. Uh, have you got anything that you really want to bring up after all of that? Or I, I guess I just want to emphasise the basically what you pointed out with bottom-up world building is it's mostly about perspective. What perspective you take matters with world building and the sort of changes you make within that are kind of what make up bottom-up world building. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this week we're looking to look into top-down world building briefly. It's going to be one that is of such a massive scope, both in its very nature and in the amount you can talk about this, that we can't possibly ever cover off everything there is to know about it. It's just mm. not possible. People dedicate years of their lives generating worlds based on this method. Um, how, do you know how long Tolkien worked on Lord of the Rings? Uh, about 60 years. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Like, that's the amount of time you can spend, and quite frankly, I imagine you can spend longer. Much longer. If only you had the time. So, what is top-down world building? There's a few assumptions you can make here based on the fact that we've already covered bottom-up. Top-down is looking at the broadest possible uh, world states, whether that be geography, politics, physics, magic, mm -hmm. whatever the big idea of your world is, whatever the big conception, misconception, or trait that you really want to play around. You start there, and you work, look at the biggest things possible, mm -hmm. and then work your way down. Okay, so it's really just looking at the most wide strokes you can paint with a brush, all of those big topics that you just discussed, plus anything else. Yeah, yeah. You're basically trying to start as wide as possible and then slowly narrow down. So eventually you may end up dealing with people at an individual level or a social level, but that's probably going to be the last things you actually do. Okay. Do you have any films or media that could kind of people could have in mind when we're discussing this sort of stuff? Yeah. In fact, we're kind of really... I guess you'd say blessed at the moment by a huge amount of media from a variety of different sources where this kind of thing is the norm. I'll rattle off a few. Um, anyone watch out there watch Game of Thrones? Uh, mm. As we already mentioned, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, gee, I'm sure you can come up with some others. Star Wars, all those big kind of fantasy, sci-fi. There's a theme that will come up frequently and it isn't so much used for fantasy settings because it doesn't seem to be the right wording but operatic yeah seems to be the uh term that's mostly bandied about that you end up with these big huge wide open spaces in which things happen okay which is the kind of feeling that you get from top down as opposed to bottom up doesn't mm -hmm. mean you can't get that same result in bottom up it's just harder to do so yep because you're starting from a different point, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're starting from a different point. Last week, we kind of talked about why you would use bottom-up. Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies here with top-down. The reason you want to use top-down is if you want to completely ditch, or virtually ditch, 
everything someone has done previously on a given topic or create your own world from scratch. Mm-hmm. Which is a mammoth task. And I would say straight off the bat, it's not recommended for beginning uh, game masters. Certainly not. No. I, I know that you've attempted to do that yourself in one form or another. Yeah, I have um, in some of my Changeling games, in some of my Werewolf games. And yeah, one of the first games I was beginning to build was from this top-down perspective, which as I started it, I realised just how mammoth a task it was and it Mm. just didn't work for me it doesn't seem like it is to begin with and then Mm. you start looking into now there's a few tools you can use for top down world building that make life a lot easier uh if you make some assumptions straight off the bat where Mm -hmm. you just go right i'm not going to worry about languages or politics is virtually the same Mm -hmm. things like that but also uh workflow documents Okay. So software is out there that will track your big ideas, collate them, and let you draw connections between them. I'm going mm-hmm. to include some of the easier-to-use ones in the link at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. and uh, it's well worth your look at. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to have time to go through what they do today, but if you're looking to do this kind of world-building, these kind of tools are invaluable because it takes your disparate notes and allows you to connect the dots really easily. Yeah. So... Why top-down world building? Well, why do you think? I guess it gives you a bit more freedom in a lot of ways. I mean, you're overcoming some of the limitations that you might have with possibly a pre-existing political or social setup. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to add your own flavour to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what else. It allows your imagination to run a riot. Mm. It allows you to ditch whatever people think is the norm. It allows you to throw rules away that you don't like. It allows you to invent new ones. It lets you put your players in an unfamiliar setting. Mm-hmm. And if anyone has played D&D for a long time, you'll notice that even when you start with a new party with inexperienced characters, the massive amount of experience that the players have going in influences their behaviour passively. Mm. If you've been running games for a long time, creating a brand new setting where there is literally no point of comparison is a great way of throwing your players for a bit of a loop. Yeah. Giving them something to sink their teeth into. Definitely. So that's why you may want to use it. There are some things that it's not so great at, and I'm sure you can kind of guess. Mm. It's not particularly good at getting the fine detail down of a particular person or social setting, Mm. I'd imagine. It's also very hard, and it's something that makes, say, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, really interesting, is that despite the fact it's clearly a top-down design, it still feels messy and dirty and human. Mm. It is so hard to get that feeling into a top-down design unless you're actively trying to have that included. Okay. You'll frequently end up with something that is too clean, mm-hmm. which is fine, you'll you'll find that this kind of clean image lends itself well for you to paint whatever you would like over the top of it. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly apply bottom-up methods over the top of the top down. Yeah. So, examples. Mm-hmm. We'll cut to you. So, come up with... Help me out here. Come up with something that you've got an interesting idea. Yep. You don't want to use any pre-existing settings. What's the one thing you've always wanted to be able to do? Um, There is one setting that I've wanted to run, which is a town that doesn't exist on the southwest coast of Tasmania um, in a region called Bathurst Harbour. Mm-hmm. And just set that as kind of a, um 
Innsmouth sort of setting, meet, Innsmouth meets um, uh, Welcome to Night Vale sort of situation. So a, a very um, Cthulhu-esque yeah. uh, kind of setting. All right. Well, if you start there, you start with that big idea. That's where you where you mm. want to start. The way you would apply top-down world building to that location. Well, in your case, you've saved yourself a little bit of effort. You've said, right, it is in the real world. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that are going to apply. We already don't need to worry about physics. Yep. We, we don't need to worry about, you know, mm-hmm. mathematics or magic mm-hmm. or anything beyond what you want to include. That said, because it is a changed reality, you can include these things as much as you want. Mm. But in terms of where you would start for top down, you've got this place named and the setting set. The things you would do first would be to look at the broadest possible strokes to make this town uh, functional. Okay. So things like where do they get their power from? Mm-hmm. Who brings in? Where does the food come from? Are there farmers? Uh, what kind of what does farming look like? Mm-hmm. What are the main political factions? And by political factions, I don't mean uh, as we mentioned previously. We're not talking about Republicans here. Yep. We're talking about what groups do people tend towards that have their own particular little power dynamics. Yep. So an example of this could be, say, the Parents and Teachers Committee. Mm. It doesn't necessarily have to be set politics. Now, when it comes to that, once you've got that spaced out, you can start looking into broad social categories. Mm-hmm. How many people are in this setting? What do they, broadly speaking, do for work? Okay. Uh, so you can kind of see how it funnels from these big ideas, step by step, closer and closer down to smaller concepts. Mm-hmm. But each step is minute. Yep. Each step is tiny. And it covers off things that you wouldn't even necessarily think of. There is a really great article that I'm going to share at the end mm-hmm. of this as well that contains a list of all the things you need to consider when you're building from a top-down perspective. Okay. It is. It goes into absolute minutiae. You mm-hmm. can go as fine a detail as you want. In its own words, you don't need to use all of it, mm. but it is there should you want to use it. Okay. So the, as you funnel closer and closer, I guess that begins to show the limits of your world as well. So you don't have the rampantly fantastic well, going on. not necessarily. The way to look at world-building, even with bottom up, is as a series of guidelines. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the averages. We're looking at the norms. We're looking at the things that are most likely to occur in given circumstances. Okay. And let's face it, great stories don't always start with the average. They okay. start with the extraordinary mm-hmm. or the strange or unusual. Mm-hmm. So by describing these norms, you also know what is abnormal. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, what we might do now is just cut over to our music for this week. Our music this week is being supplied by yourself, Liam, mm. which is from the band Moonhunter with the song Tell Me Kid. <laughs>
that was Tell Me Kid by Moonhunter. So, let's grab a hold of this setting that we just came up with, this mm-hmm. Innsmouth-esque city, town, Yep. on the um, south southwest of Tassie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, let's... T- it's your world. Mm-hmm. You lead. Tell me what you're thinking, and then we'll try and fit it in so that we can come okay. up with an impression of this place for people at home. So, you don't necessarily have to worry about geography, as far as I'm aware with this, because we're setting it in the real world. Mm-hmm. So, more what I'd be looking at is actually how how people get food. Like I might just jump in there. Like we'll go to, go to yeah, food yeah. in a sec. But geography, even in a world where geography is set, is important. Yeah. Knowing that it's on the southwest of Tasmania, it means all kinds of things. The The region itself ranges from mountainous to quite flat. Mm-hmm. Knowing where your setting is in a geographical sense yeah. is important. Even if the world itself is a set or fixed constant, mm-hmm. Knowing where it is is important because that will actually flow on and affect everything else. Yep. Oh, well, I'll go a little bit into the geography of it then. Um, it, uh, where I imagined this would be would be on the edge of a harbour, mm-hmm. um, where there are mountains basically all around the side of the harbour. Mm-hmm. The harbour itself is extremely sheltered, mm-hmm. um, and there are constant uh, fresh water sources flowing into it. Okay. So it's it's on a it's on a river. Yeah, effectively. All right. So see how that paints a different world image. Yeah, it does. Mm. It also changes what the possible industries could be. It changes mm. farming practices. It changes general politics. Even once you start to get into it, mm. because you know certain facts about what people are likely to be doing. Yeah. Cool. So now let's move to the next. Yeah, so I guess for me that would then be food, how you get food, and then into industry. Mm-hmm. So, well, with food, are they integrated into the greater economy, or are they completely isolationist? Um, I imagined a mix of both, mostly in terms of fresh fruits, uh, not necessarily meat, but vegetables, mm-hmm. certainly simply because of the, like you pointed out, the geography, it's not particularly easy to farm in that area. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, fishing, mm-hmm. shellfish, that sort of thing, would be very heavy in their diet. So you have a, a kind of a mix of um, food production and f- food being imported. Okay. So they are connected to the wider economy, which mm. does bring us to economy. Yeah. So, in terms of the economy of the town, what do, broadly speaking, people do? In terms of job or in employment. terms of... In terms of employment. How, okay. how is money brought into this place? Or is money even relevant? Um, money should be relevant. In my mind, it would be uh, a mixture of fishing, uh, logging, mm-hmm. and... Uh, one of the things that I toyed around with is the idea of cryptozoology being used by the University of Tasmania in this area. Mm-hmm. So a lot of money actually comes from university graduates or undergrads coming in on research to basically understand this strange little town. Hmm. 
So straight away, we all, this will, t- will dovetail into politics. Hmm. In a fishing town, one of the most powerful political groups would be... The fishermen. Absolutely. And their distribution. In particular, the skippers. Yeah. And those who own the businesses. Yeah. If the yeah. boats are owned by other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the companies are. So these people would necessarily have power in the community. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't thought of that. It, it wouldn't necessarily be traditional power. It wouldn't be, you know, I'm a politician and therefore I can do these things. But it's the different kind of political power where it, someone is respected yeah. or someone has that oomph, the, the weight of people behind them. Yeah, the influence rather than direct mm. power, perhaps. Mm, absolutely. Okay. So, in that sense, you probably have um, the, the skippers and captains of the boats mm-hmm. as a major political force. Mm-hmm. You'd have the... Uh, whatever dean or head of university stuff as another political force, and then uh, the head of forestry in Tasmania in the area, so the person in charge of the logging and distribution of wood. Okay. So you probably have those three as the major influential powers. In terms of employment. In terms of employment, yes. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind that there is always bleed, it will always flow through to different areas, but let's look at things from a social perspective. Mm-hmm. level. Thinking about averages, how old do you believe the average person in this place would be? And more importantly, what's the population? Um, Population-wise, I imagined more, no more than 2,000. Mm-hmm. So reasonably reasonably sized by rural and by Tasmanian standards. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly probably sitting in the same sort of distribution as the majority of Tasmania, where we have higher numbers of those in between 50 and 70, basically the baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. and flowing down into smaller numbers in Gen X and Y, um, and very few, few people bef- uh, before the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So doubtless you're going to have things like public services. Mm-hmm. So probably um, buses, uh, general service for, say, getting licences, tax collection or maintenance, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And how about for the people themselves? How about children? Children? Uh, I was thinking, I haven't thought of that, so probably a primary school and a high school. Mm-hmm. Maybe a uh, due to the state's somewhat unique stance on year eleven and twelve, probably the high school would actually be a religious high school, so it could cater to all the way from year seven to year twelve. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just take a quick stop here. Do you see how everything we've described? it more or less lends itself to the idea of a functioning town. Yeah, it does. And you may also note that this town is, for want of a better word, kind of dull. Yep. This is a a town. Yep. You could be describing any town. We know it's by the water. Well, we'll conjure certain 
certain images. Mm-hmm. But it's a general town. It's a, it's a general town. So now let's move on to the things that are going to spice that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. What is happening in this location on a broad level that changes this away from the norm? Um, things constantly coming from the sea. Once again, this is slightly inspired by Lovecraft, so strange things in the water, strange things washed up on shore that people may not necessarily know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, with logging uh, fairy rings, uh, something that I would like to add, or, you know, um, Tasmanian tigers in the wilderness, strange creatures that shouldn't necessarily be but they have some interaction with the population. And would you call it, for want of a better word, and heavy finger quotes are going around this, magic? Not more occultism. Definitely more the occultism side of things. Um, So one interesting thing that you can do with the top-down design when you're taking concepts like that is to apply a special category to the supernatural, mm-hmm. which is something that I believe in this particular setting you're going to need to do, where you would take all of those ideas and then break them down further. When you're trying to deal with supernatural elements that cause certain guttural responses, mm-hmm. it's very hard to get those responses in, in general from this type of design. Okay. You're far better off using bottom-up, that kind of thing. So we'll leave that alone for now. Mm -hmm. So the town itself, is it functional from a perspective of, let's say a tourist wandered in, would they find anything unusual about it? Um, Yeah, the main thing they would find unusual is the university campus is not above ground. It's below the ground, embedded into the side of a mountain. Um... They still take visitors, they're still extremely polite, but it's not what you would consider normal university practice, or even necessarily human practice. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, this is the point where we're starting to cross over. Yeah, I was beginning to see that. If you would have taken a world that was much larger, let's say something where you had to develop the geography and develop new political structures, where you could be at this process for... Months, Months, years. uh, years, Just slowly narrowing things down. I've deliberately kind of pushed us away from topics where we can spend more time to shoot the limits of how much we can include in a general podcast. But you can see how you take by taking these big ideas, you've painted a picture of this place. Mm -hmm. And the picture you've painted is a lot different than the school we discussed in the last episode. Yeah. Do you know how, when we were talking about that school... Because it was from a bottom-up perspective, it mm-hmm. meant that it was instantly relatable. Yeah. Mm. Even if you hypothetically never went to school, you can understand the concept and mm-hmm. the feeling of being in someone's shoes. I don't think very many people can say that they understand the broader political implications of living in a cursed seaside town. No. <laughs> so this is right about where you'd want to switch to bottom-up. This okay. is right about where you'd like to go, all right, so these are these broad things. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, we've got a population of 2,000. Let's pick out the outliers. Let's pick out the interesting individuals. Mm-hmm. Let's populate it up with people that 
uh, you know, they're there, they're bodies, but they're not necessarily important. Yep. And then take it from there. Okay. So in order to do that crossover, I think I'd like to cover that off next time. Yeah. So we can sit down, piece together everything, and then from there we'll hopefully end up with a complete world. Mm-hmm. What I'd like us to do, we're going to take that school mm-hmm. concept, which was unlocated last time, you'll know. Yep. And we're going to make that be our high school. In this town. In this town. Yep. And then next podcast, we're going to put all this together mm-hmm. and come up with a cohesive game universe. Okay. And then in a few weeks' time, we'll, in that period, have, hopefully, mm-hmm. run a game in it, and then we'll do a game report. Yep. How's that sound? Yep. Excellent. Sounds good. Cool. So that'll give you the opportunity to play around in this universe you've thought mm. of and put some of this to the test. Yep. Sounds like an excellent plan. Excellent. So, um, gee, we may as well call it there for the yeah. day. Sounds good. Awesome. So, as per usual, we can be contacted by email at gmsforhire at gmail.com. That's G-M-S-F-O-R-H-I-R-E at gmail.com. The link will be attached to the description of the show. Today's music was Tell Me Kid by Moonhunter. The link will be again attached at the end. So over to you. Today's quote, I change up because I want to join this furry party.